We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to our first installment of the series, Not Today, Satan. We're believing God's going to do amazing things in your life and equip you. And the purpose of this is to expose the plans of the enemy so that we can destroy them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so really excited about this. Just a couple things before we get started. I just, I want to welcome uh, just special guests, John and Stephanie Morris. They are pastors in Wichita, Kansas. They're here with their family and they pastor Vima Church in Wichita. We love you all. So grateful to have you today. And now when there's another preacher in the house, I get all nervous. So I'm like, okay, all right, I got to make sure. Anyway, John, love you, man. <laughs> great, great to see you. And then also another really cool thing today, this is Cheryl and I's 24th wedding anniversary today. It's amazing. It's amazing. And no, we would, we would rather not, we would, yes, we could be at a hotel, we could be doing something fun, but we'd rather be at church. Come on, it's a good day. It's a good day. So anyway, really so thankful that we are uh, starting this series, and I'm excited. And today's kind of a, an overview, kind of, kind of lay out some ideas that maybe you've never heard before, you never understood before. But I believe God has something really special for us. A lot of the things I'm sharing today has come from a, a, a book that I read a while ago by Dean Sherman, and, and some of it has really impacted my life. A lot of it has. And so I want to share some of those things and share also some things from, from my own heart as well. But, you know, as you, as you understand this, that we live in a spirit world. And if you don't understand that, just open your eyes for two seconds and you'll see that there is something going on in our world that is trying to influence what God would call truth and righteousness. You do know that, right? That we live in a world that's just not about um, good and evil coming against each other. We live in a world that's not that Jesus is trying to fight Satan and Satan's trying to fight Jesus. No, no. We live in a world of where all authority has been given to Christ on earth and he rules all things, including every aspect of our world. There's no realm of this earth that doesn't belong to Jesus. Now, we have been given the authority by Christ to carry out that, that which we were called to do, to reclaim what already belongs to him. But we need to understand that there are strategies of the enemy. There are schemes of the devil to come against what is godly and what is for us to have in our lives. And really, it's a strategy against all of humanity. Ephesians 6.11 says this, put on the whole armor of God. So there's an understanding, we've talked about this before, but there's an understanding that we've been given tools, but put that on, use those tools so that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the strategies of the devil. So Paul is talking about, we live in a world where there is a thought out plan, strategy by the devil. And so we need to understand this. Again, the purpose of this is to expose the plans of the devil, to expose what he's doing, because we need to understand there are, there are personal and there are actual very thought out things that the devil is doing on the earth. And so this is a great picture of the reality of the realm of the spiritual, that there are schemes, there are plans, there are things that are, that are happening that are just not because they are, it's because they are planned out by the devil. 
It's important we understand evil, it's not a force, it's not a thing, it's a manifestation of the intellect and personality of Satan. So everything evil on this earth has come from his strategies against humanity. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but you wear and are marked by the image of God. Nothing else in creation bears his image. And Satan hates every time he sees humanity. Whether you're saved or not, he hates humanity. He hates you. But we serve a God who has conquered all demonic things. That we, we live in a spiritual world. And what John said is that Jesus came to destroy the works of darkness. And so there is an understanding for we as believers who are filled with the Spirit of God. We have been given the same authority that Jesus himself has bore and purchased through his resurrection. He has given it to us. What we do know is this though on, on the world or in the world that every good thing, every good thing, every gift, everything that is life-giving comes for, from an uncreated being who is our God. Everything is good. And so we are in a spiritual world. So we need to understand this. But I, I want to begin this, this series with reading a passage that many of us are familiar with. This passage can be applied to di many different areas, but it's probably one of the more famous aspects or famous um, interactions of God with his disciples out of Matthew 16. This is the first time anything like this had ever been spoken. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to die and to be raised to life. And this is where the disciples have come to the place called Caesarea Philippi, and there is now this conversation. Verse 13, now when Jesus came into the districts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, which also means Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, I want you to catch this. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we know from this moment Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was going to die on the cross. And what the purpose of him dying was to pay the penalty of the sin of mankind. He also raised from the dead. The purpose of his resurrection was to reclaim all authority that had been given over to Satan from Adam. And Jesus being the second Adam purchased back that authority to himself. Before his resurrection, all authority had not been given to Jesus. But after the resurrection, he, he purchased it back. So Adam's disobedience, because in the garden, we need to understand that God had set Adam and Eve in the garden and given them authority over all things. Now, they were stewards of the garden. They weren't owners of it. They were stewards. And to be a steward means to do things in the manner in which God would do it. So they were stewards in the garden. But they were also given the authority of the garden. And so the interaction and deception of Satan, Adam, who represents all of mankind, what he did is forfeited that authority. He sold that authority through his disobedience and he gave it to Satan. And then Satan 
became the one who holds authority on the earth. So Jesus came to purchase back that authority, and he purchased it back unto himself. And so this is the understanding that Jesus was coming to purchase back authority that was lost by Adam back to himself. And then as we know, he says this, now I give all authority to you, to believers. For what? To restore us to our original purpose of stewards on the earth and stewards of what God had called them to do. In other words, we now are to steward the earth and life and family and humanity and, and everything in this world in the manner in which God would do it. We need to understand this. We are stewards to to do things in the manner in which God would do it. Not just our personal lives, but we're talking on the earth to bring forth the righteousness and apply the word of God in every area to do things in the manner in which God would do it. So if God wouldn't do it that way, God doesn't want it that way, we are to do something about that. Amen? And so this is a call for us to understand our purpose and our authority. And so Jesus would bestow, after his resurrection, believers with that same authority that he possessed. And he calls us the church. And he says that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. How many are thankful for that? So we need to understand this. We are not victims. We are victorious through Christ. We are not at the mercy of, no, no, Satan is at the mercy of us acting on our authority. So this is what we need to understand. So we're going to lay some of this groundwork, this first message. But this idea of church that Jesus mentions for the first time ever is this, it's this word that means called out ones. We are called out. We are set apart. It also goes back to, do you remember after the Tower of Babel that is that it says that God chose for himself his own people. And he chose Abraham. And from Abraham, he called out this group of people who would be used for his purposes to bring a blessing to the world, which Galatians 3.16 is the blessing to the world is Jesus Christ. That was the blessing to the world that came to these people. Same way for us. We in Christ now have been called out. We've been set apart we are different from, from those who don't know Christ. We've been called out of darkness into light. We've been called out of death into life. In other words, once we're called out, once we put our faith in Christ, everything's going to be different in our lives. Everything. Our purpose and our calling. And so this idea that we as a church, one, church, we're not a place. That's, that's not what church is. Now, we call the place we gather and worship and becomes a sacred space for us worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes, that we know that, that the word of God says don't forsake the gathering. The word of God says that we are to have pastors in our life. The word of God says we are to be in a community and serve and grow together. Yes, it does say that. But this word of God doesn't say that this is the church. It says that you are the church. And so we come and we worship and we come to the place, to the building that we have church in, that we do gather, and we're equipped by the God's word 
We're filled fresh and new with the Spirit. We minister to one another through the gifts of the Spirit. We are equipped to then go out and to do what Jesus has said, to attack and tear down and push against the gates of hell. That's what we're called to do. And so this is so important for us to understand that the title of this, of this series, Not Today, Satan, is for you to understand we have, we have a, a purpose and a call of God to do things that says, uh-uh, Satan, not today. We're not, I'm not having this in my family, not today. I'm not having this in my mind, not today. I'm not having this in my city, not today. I'm not having this in my, in, in my children, not today. Because that's our place to, say, to tell the devil what he can and cannot do. I hope you're believing this today. And so this is what's, what Jesus is speaking about, the church. See, we, we aren't, there, there was a day that uh, we used to call this the sanctuary. Sometimes I call it the sanctuary. It's just old language. Friends, this is not the sanctuary of God. You're the sanctuary of God's spirit. Friends, this is not the temple. God doesn't dwell in buildings made by human hands. Why? Because now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are the church. And that's what this, this means, that we're a mobile temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we go, we carry the presence of the King with us. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to dwell inside of people, and where those people are is the church. But he also was saying in this statement that the church is going to have a, a focus. It's going to be a realm of focus, and that focus is going to be what he calls the gates of hell. It's to be our focus. So this context is important. Because they are, they are in the region of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was known by the Jews as a terrible place. There was pagan worship there. There were sacrifices made by the pagan god, to the pagan gods. You can go there. Matter of fact, we're going to go there in, in December when we go to Israel. There was a, a place, there was a natural springs that you could walk up and you would make sacrifices of animals and sometimes humans. And you would throw it and throw the sacrifice into the springs after you had, had, had bled it out. And as the, as the body of the carcass would hit the springs bubbling, if the blood from your sacrifice came out below in the lower springs, it means that God, that, that God had heard your prayers. It was gross. It's also the region that's called the region of Bashan, which means the region of the serpent. So this is a very strategic place for Satan. Traditionally, in the Jewish tradition, which we would be disconnected from this, traditionally, this is the place that the angels who rebelled against God made the decision to do so in this area. Some scholars believe that, and I believe this, that when Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, he was actually referring to the mountain, the rock, right behind him. Because that area, that rock was referred to as the gates of hell. So Jesus is saying, he brought his disciples there to say, hey, you know that area, this rock right here? Um, 
I'm going to build my church smack dab in the middle of the enemy's territory, and we're going to win. So this is where they were. And so this place represented the strategies, represented the choices of an evil spiritual world. And so they usually, the Jews normally wouldn't go, go there because it was unclean. So Jesus was saying, though, that the darkest, most evil spirit realm is nothing compared to his authority and his light that comes from the revelation that he is the risen Messiah and that he has purchased all authority back to himself as a second Adam representing all of humanity and now given it, given it to all of those who call on the name of the Lord. And they are now to understand they have authority over the gates of hell. If only, if only the church believed what I just said. If only the church believed the city in which we dwell, we should be attacking the strategies of the devil against humanity. And when Jesus was talking about gates, he was talking about something that is seen in Scripture often. When he says that the gates of hell will not prevail, what does he mean by this? What what does a gate represent? And this is, I want to begin this series as just leaning in on this point here. So what what is a gate? And we know this, that as we read earlier, that we're to put on the armor of God so that we can stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Well, a gate represents the place in which strategies are made, schemes are made, the devil's plans. Matter of fact, it is what it's represented, it's, a, it's an ancient thought that when you, when you look at these ancient cities, there was a, always a city gate. And the city gate was the place in which the elders of the city would come and meet, and they would make decisions about what they were going to do. Could be an issue of justice, could be about what they're going to allow in the city, or what they're going to kick out of the city because of whatever's going on. But this is where the elders would gather and make these decisions. Well, this is also the understanding that this is where the devil has and his, and his cohorts have made decisions and set strategies on how they're going to deceive mankind. And so what we know, part of these, these strategies, and we're not going to cover all of them today, is that the devil's plan from the very beginning was to turn humanity away from worshiping God and ultimately so that they would worship him. But what many people don't understand is is Satan will receive worship from people who don't know they're worshiping him. They're just, they are corrupting their human purpose and nature. And therefore, by their obedience to his, his deception, they're worshiping him. They're obeying his truth. So Satan set out to deceive humanity into believing they can choose their own truth. 
He, he, he set out to convince and deceive humans that, you know what, you can be like God and choose your own way and set your own law and make your own truth. You can, you can even make your own natural order because you are the commander of your destiny. You're the architect of your world. And this lie has been repeated over years and years and years from the garden, over and over and over. And Satan knows this, if, if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes what? Or journalism. <laughs> I, I know there are righteous journalists and we need you. Amen? Okay, great. All right. <laughs> I debated telling that joke. But I said it, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> so we know that his plan is to deceive humanity to hijack the purpose of humans away from what they were created to do. And so we know that he does it through lies, he does it through deceptions, and he uses others as puppets to, to work for him and to indoctrinate and to seduce and to spew lies that once you believe it, you become it. As I often say, what you believe, you become. That's why it's so important for you to understand your identity in Christ. What you learn about God and who you are, you will live that out. That's why it's so important for you to be anchored to the Word. But I want to talk about gates. Gates speak of the place in which strategy is made. And the gates of hell represent the, the, the strategy of the purpose of the devil. So the church's function, as Jesus was saying, was to be against this particular area and have the authority and be given the authority to deal with these strongholds. So gates are doorways. They're often used as, as an analogy in the Bible. Jesus said this in John 10, I'm the door. If you want to be in the, in the sheepfold, you need, you need to pass through the door. And I'm the door. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open, then I will come in and have fellowship. So gates are access points. Gates signify the authority of a particular city, but gates also signify the decisions in our personal lives. It's the place that strategy is made, decisions are made, that things can go in and things can come out. If you want to think of a city, what things can go in or can come out. When you think of a per, if personally, the gate is your human decision that what you allow in your life and what you don't allow in your life. Decisions to be made about your life about your family's life, about the city in which you live in, about the state which you live in, about the nation that you live in, if you think about it, are all based around human decision. 
And so these gates are the particular means by which the enemy gains access to a particular area of our lives. And the nature of a gate, it's, it's not permanently fixed. It opens, it closes. It has options. All of us can wake up in the morning and say, I choose, I'm going to be nice today. I choose, I'm going to be patient today. Or you can wake up and say, I choose, I'm not going to. It's your choice. So what causes gates to open, gates to close, it's human decision. Jesus, as I read, he stands at the door and he knocks. If any man opens, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to come and kick down the door and save you. No, if any man opens, then I will come in. So this access point for the enemy is our choice. It is our human decision. Again, this is one of the aspects of spiritual warfare that we're going to be exposing um, and, and laying out the plans of the enemy. So it's important that we understand that we have access points and access points. And so what, what this means for us is to understand there are access points that for us we need to, we need to learn how do we influence these access points that allow the enemy's strategy to, to manifest or keep the enemy's strategy out. So a, a simple question is this, is how much is the devil allowed in our lives? Well, it would be exactly the amount that people have allowed him to be there. Or how much of the devil is allowed in our city? It's exactly the amount that believers have done nothing and allowed the devil to run rampant in their city. How much have we allowed the devil to be in our state? It's exactly the amount that believers have allowed him to be in our state. How is it that we live in a state that a full-term child can be ripped from the most safest place that should be, the mother's womb. And believers go, well, I don't know, that's political. How? Because the church has withdrawn from these areas and we've bought into the lie that, well, that's just, that's just the world and secular and let's just go to church and let's, and let's just... Teach our, our family to love Jesus, and, uh, but tell them not to do anything when they get out of the family. Just go to church and express your love there. If we're stewards, if we've been given authority, then we should care when something is existing where we live that is not in the will of God. We should care. And so human choice is an individual. There are things that we can allow in our lives, and there are things we can kick out of our lives. And the beautiful thing about when you walk with Jesus is he gives you the grace and the power to do so. And when you submit to him and say, Lord, I don't want this in my life, can you, can you help me get this thing to the gate and kick this thing in the rear end? I don't want it anymore. And we can repent and we can, we can and sometimes it, it, it'll sneak in and we, we take it back. It's, it's a human decision. But also we need to understand there are corporate 
decisions that are made, that leaders make. That's why for men, as you lead your families, that what you allow in your, in your home is on you. And so your children can be impacted by the corporate decision that you made to allow something into your house. Human decision. It's called leadership. That's why it's important for us as men to walk and, and, and grow with Christ and to first submit ourselves to him and, and allow him to, to strengthen our gate with his word and with, with discipleship and as we grow in our prayers. And so there are three influences, though, on these gates of decision, both individually and both corporately. One is God. God is always influencing the gates of decision. He influences it through his word, influences it through his conviction, through the Holy Spirit. He reveals things in his love. He reveals things in the gospel. He reveals things in the person of Jesus. He gives understanding. We can have the mind of Christ. He's always influencing. Another influencer, and we're not going to spend a, a whole lot of time because I want to get this last point. Another influencer is the devil. The devil's always trying to influence the gates of decision on the earth and us individually. With corporate leaders, with, with uh, government leaders, always trying to influence that gate to get an individual or group of people to enact and do something that causes harm to humanity that bears the image of Jesus. Always. Same way with us individually. He does this through temptation. He does this through outside influence from media, from friends. He does this through movements. He does this through all of a sudden, I, I mean, whether it's, it's TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or Fox News or CNN or, or the Arvada Press, like whatever it may be. He's always influencing it is no coincidence that if there's sometimes an article that will be written about us as a church, it is not, we are not truthfully represented. Why? Because there is a strategy that's trying to influence how the rest of the community might see us. And that applies to every area of life. That's why we need godly journalism. See, I went back to that one because I felt bad for those who... So. That, that's why we need it. So this is, but, but also, also these same vehicles can be used to influence the hearts and the decisions of leaders and humanity for the good, for the purposes of God. But this is how the devil does. He tries to deceive that human decision, the gate, through lies to make things look better. So we'll open the gate it's interesting, he will even deceive people to, they have false righteousness. They will, they will fight for something that is, is, is a false righteousness and they'll do evil in order to accomplish it. And then pat themselves on the back that, yay, see, I did something that was good. Yes, but you did something evil to accomplish it. It's destructive and deception. And the third influence is what I want to lean in today on the gates of decision in the corporate world, in government, in our families, and in you, is you. This is, these are the gates 
And so you can influence these gates. You can influence the gates. I want to give you some brief things, then I want to lean into this last one. One, you can influence the gates of human decision through prayer. I remember I was in Thailand and I was talking to uh, our, our great missionaries there, um, Ajay and Nancy, and I was talking with Nancy about prayer, and she said, you know, the Lord convicted me of this, that um, many times when we were working and trying to do something and couldn't accomplish it, she goes, I would make this comment, you know what, I, um, we're just going to pray. And the Lord said, excuse me, you're just going to pray? And she was like, oh, you're right. So we, we don't understand the authority and power we have in prayer and bringing a spiritual alignment and vocally speaking out and calling on the name of the Lord that he comes and he hears those who call on him. He answers those who will call to him. He moves on our, our behalf. And people say, well, how come God just, why do I have to pray? Because he has given you stewardship. And you are to be a steward. You are to call on his name when you need him. You're not the owner. You're the steward. And so he wants to partner with you. And what happens when you sense something going on in your, in your family and you're like, man, something's not right. Something's kind of off. And what's happening? There's strife happening in our home. And I mean, I, why am my wife and I always like fighting over like where to put the forks? Like what's going on? That's never happened in our home ever. It usually has to do with the cutting boards. I feel like they go better in this area, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get counseling later. It's fine. <laughs> but what do we do? We're like, well, the, you're the problem. No, you're the problem. Well, stress is the problem. Or, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to call so-and-so and talk to so-and-so about the problem. You know, I'm going to Google where's the right place to put the forks in the kitchen, and I'll show you. You know what we don't do? Hey, let's pray. Hey, let's, uh, something's not right in my heart. Something's not, something's off. Hey, let's pray. Lord, we just come to you right now. And Lord, there's just a lot of strife going on. And we recognize that uh, our emotions aren't aligned to what, what would be the fruit of the Spirit. And so, Lord, we want to just welcome you into this household right now, that you would change the, my heart, the gate of my heart, what, what thoughts I'm allowing in, what feelings I'm allowing in. And, Lord, we want to get those out of our hearts. And so, Lord, thank you for my wife. Thank you, God, for our family. And we welcome you here to break off every strategy of the enemy, to bring, to not bring peace, but to bring turmoil. And so, Lord, we welcome your peace right here in the midst of our house. In Jesus' name, amen. Feels different. This, this is something that many of us don't recognize, that prayer influences the gates of our decision, the, the, our decision, our hearts. And we can look to the word. What do we pray? What does God want in my personal life? And God doesn't want 
uh, perversion. So that's, 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 the, that's a perversion of, of what God has. And what a perversion means, it's the wrong version than what God has. So it, Lord, I just pray right now, I, I recognize that this, is trying, this, this thought's trying to influence. So Lord, I, I align myself with you. I pray your word. I pray for righteousness. I thank you, Lord. Your word is good for rebuke and teaching and reproof. And, and oh wow, all of a sudden, it shores up the gates. I don't do the work, but I pray, and then God does the work. It's like the walls of Jericho. They tell them what to do. They do it. God knocks down the walls. They didn't knock down the walls. If they said, if they, I want you to walk around this thing seven times. I want you to do this and blow the this. And okay, they're like, ah, that's silly. Would God have knocked down the walls? I don't think he would have. Did they knock down the walls? No, but they did do what God told them to do. And because of their obedience, God knocked down the walls. You can also pray specifically against the influence of the enemy. So believers have the authority to to pray against the strategies of the devil. You can pray this over your children. You can pray this over your spouse. You can pray this over your pastor as long as it's, it's from the Bible. Don't, uh, don't pray your will. You can pray however you want. However the word says, you can align with that and pray that. And it begins to change things. And it begins to influence the, the gates of our lives. You can pray for those who are, have, have this cycle of bad decision, bad decision, bad decision. And you can pray for them. Lord, I just pray that right now, God, that you would, you would move in their lives and help them to make better decisions. In the book of Hosea, there's this amazing kind of one-liner. I've shared this with many parents before. But, but in the book of Hosea, Hosea was married to a prostitute. Hosea was a prophet. It was a picture of of God's people and God himself. And Gomer, I, her poor name, but Gomer <laughs> was, had left her husband and was trying to get her needs met where she used to get them met with the different men to try to get substance for life. And, and so she was trying to get her needs met from all these different places. And God told Hosea, I'm going to put a I'm going to put a hedge of thorns around her so that wherever she tries to get her needs met, that is not my will and purpose, would cause her pain and would cause her to come back to her groom. You can pray this over people. As you align your, as you align your life with God's word, this is, we, have, we are stewards and we can have influence. We have influence on the gates of decision. You can do it through the gospel. When people, you share the gospel, when people hear the gospel, they're convicted. And do they still reject it? Yes. But it was their choice. And this is the fourth one. And one way that we impact the gates of decision in our personal lives, in our families' lives, and in our city's lives, in our state's lives, in our nation's life is number four. Stand for biblical truth and righteousness. This is very important. 
Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? This is what he requires. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. You see, friends, when we, make a, when we make a decision and a choice that's aligned with God's truth, it sets things into place. Matthew 5 says, says it this way, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And give it light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works or get good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says that your good works and good deeds are going to give glory to your Father in heaven. And that's going to that's going to do something to people who don't know him. Now, let me ask you a question. Who defines what good works are? Who defines what good deeds are? God does. And every good deed and every good work is based on his word. Most people say, no, your good deeds are, you know... Uh, like, buy somebody's coffee, a stranger behind you, and tell them Jesus loves you. That is a good work. That's good. Or we say, oh, good works is just smile and be nice to people. Okay, that's, that's good. You should do that anyway. But when you stand for biblical truth and righteousness, you become a light that shines. When you stand for what is true and what is right, you are a light that is set on a hill. And people go, oh, you can't, no, no, you can't do that. You can't say that. That's offensive. You are still doing good works and good deeds. You're still standing up for the innocent and the righteous. It's a good deed to come to the aid and to the defense of innocent children who are being indoctrinated through, through horrible, horrible um, deception that would lead them down a pathway that would destroy their lives. Who's going to do the good deed and stand up for them? Oh, we can smile at them. We can say, oh, that's just not a realm. I, I, can, I just want to go to church. What are you talking about? Jesus says you are to shine like lights. He defines what is bright. He defines what is true. He defines what is, what is life-giving. It's him who does it. Not you. Not, yeah, but I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, but they don't like me. Humanity that doesn't like truth doesn't define what is good or right or good deeds. Jesus does. God does. 
And we can sit and just watch the gates of decision in our city, in our families, and in, in, in our state just be, just be totally seduced and riddled by the strategies of the devil because no one is speaking truth. No one is shining like a light. No one is doing good deeds. No one is getting in there and rolling up their sleeves and saying, hang on, I'm going to be a light and I'm going to bring glory to Christ through my good deeds and my good works. I'm going to apply God's word in every aspect of life because they are good. They are right. They are always life-giving. They are never bad. They are never toxic. God's word is always good for people who are made in his image. And so we begin to act into, to work into the, the culture and the life with like we do dough and we put truth in, we put good deeds in, and we do what it takes regardless of what people say because one day we're going to stand before God and he's going to say, so did you smile and high five people or did you do good works for me? God has given us authority. Are we walking in it? Personally, corporately, have you been deceived by the devil that you can't get involved with the strategies that are coming from the gates of hell that are destroying the city and the children and the educational system? Have you believed a lie that somehow, well, I, that's not for me? If we're stewards, if, we, if we're it, who's going to influence? Who's going to shine like lights in the midst of darkness? Who's going to speak truth? Who's going to do just things, but also do, love mercy? Do them in the nature of Christ. And by doing these things, we're going to bring glory to Christ. If there is no realm on this earth that doesn't belong to Jesus, and we are the stewards that bring forth his rule and reign in it, then what are we waiting on? And I'm praying for our church that the deception of the enemy that has told us you can't shine bright in that area. You can't shine bright at your child's school. You can't shine bright in the policies that are killing children in the city in which I've placed you. You can't shine bright in what marriage is and isn't. You can't speak God's truth in this area. You can't do, I'm praying that, that God would dismantle all of the lies of Satan that his church has believed and become nothing. I'm a, I'm a protector by nature, what God has called me to protect. I don't know why, I just am that. And many of us are that way. Some of you mamas are protectors. Some of you men are protectors. Some of you women are you're protectors. And God has called us to shine and protect by appealing 
to the gates of decision in our society and our people. And we love them and we smile and we're kind. But I'm telling you this, if we reduce the good deeds of Christianity down to the exact same thing that a person who doesn't know Jesus can do, we are influenced by the strategies of the devil. We are the ones who shine. And we point people to the Savior that can save them from hell and restore their lives and protect the innocent and can do something and can share. How do we do it? We do it by being different. We are the called out ones, not the blend in ones. And we set a different example. And I'm believing that God wants to use all of you to influence the gates of decision. First, in your own heart. Make some decisions. Kick some things out of your gate, out of your city that represents your, your life. Kick them out. Get them out. And by the grace of God, ask the Lord, examine me. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. Holy Spirit, empower me. Help me to live the way that I see that you've made me to be. I'm also praying that God would first then allow us to do this in our families. Make some decisions today. Get the stuff out of your house that shouldn't be in your house. Men, if you're the husband of your house, that's on you. It's time you get the stuff out of your house. That's not your, that's not your son or daughter's room. That's your stewardship. What's in that room that needs to get out? What are you allowing to entertain? What are you allowing yourselves to watch? What are you, what are you allowing to feed you? What are you allowing to be on the internet? What are you looking at on the internet? It's time. It's time. And repent. And then it moves from our families. And then where has God called each of us to be? Let's ask God that we would, he would use us as stewards to bring glory to him. And may we see God do something tremendous in our city. I refuse. As long as God has called me to be here and pastor this church, I refuse to sit back and watch the people of this city be decimated by the strategies of the devil. I refuse it. God loves them. And I want to be a light for them. And I want us to be a light that we would bring him glory and honor. And we do it humbly and we would see God restore his beautiful, wonderful purposes and kingdom right where we are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for just the powerful truth. And thank you for your spirit even now that quickens us. 
Lord, today, we, every one of us in this room and listening online, we recognize there's been an influence on our gates of decision. And so, Lord, right now, I just pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, you begin to clean out our, our lives. We begin to make decisions that align ourselves according to your word. We feel the conviction, which is loving and wonderful. It affirms that we actually belong to you. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our lives right now to sweep out every corner, to heal every hurt that caused us to make some decisions, insecurities, shame, and guilt from the past. And we just, we open the gate and we kick it out right now. Those habitual sins that we keep cycling back to, Lord, just heal us, restore us, and shore up our gate today. Lord, we also want to pray for the gates of decision where you have called us to be, this city. Lord, as a church, I ask you that you would give us wisdom and you give us courage and you will remove the deception from our hearts and our minds that it's someone else's problem when really it's our responsibility. Lord, I ask you that we would do all this for your glory and your honor. Lord, I also pray for families and marriages. The Lord, today we would do some house cleaning. That if single parents, God, who are leading can, would just evaluate and say, hey, Lord, what do you want me to get out of my house? Attitude-wise or unforgiveness? Couples who are married, God, that they would come together and pray and ask God to reveal what they have allowed that is not in your purpose and in your will. And then they make, may they make the decision just to lay it before you and get it out of the gate. God, we pray for our children today. The things have influenced their, the gates of their decision about their life about the future. Lord, we pray right now that you would dismantle the works of the devil, that, Lord, you would put protection around them, that, God, our city would become a city that is known to bring glory to you. Lord, we pray for all the hearts of the mothers today who are contemplating abortion that little child that you knit together in its mother's womb. God, we pray now that you would influence the gate of her decision because it's not her body, that's your child that you put together. And Lord, may the church also grow in helping take care of those who need to be adopted, who need to be taken care of.
may we not just stand back and shake fingers, but may we roll up our sleeves and be solutions. And so God, from this day forward, we make a decision that we will shine like a bright light on a hill. And we will do the good deeds that your word speaks of. And we will bring you glory and honor through our lives as a testimony to the world. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, just ask that you should remain with your heads bowed for a moment. And you recognize that you have not submitted yourself to Christ and not asked him to come and cleanse you and give you a new life and forgive you. Nobody's looking around. If you would like to give your life to Jesus, if you want to open that gate right now and accept his work for you, just raise your hand right where you are right now. God bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. You can put your hands down. Bless you. I want to lead you into prayer. And just pray it from your heart. And we're all going to pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. I hear you knocking, and I open the door. Come in and forgive me. Come in and cleanse me. I confess I'm a sinner, and I need you. I believe that you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I put my trust in you. Thank you for putting your spirit in me. From this moment forward, I will obey you. I will obey your word. And I'll do it because of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give God a hand today. Amen and amen. If we can, let's all stand to our feet. If you gave your life to Jesus today, we'd be honored to help you on your next steps. You can find that on our website at faith.church. You can also scan the QR code that's on the back of the chair right in front of you. Um, grateful for what God is doing. If you can't lift your hands to the Lord, I'd love to bless you today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'll bless your people. May you prosper them. May you grow them. May you lead them. May you move in them and through them. God, I ask you today that they will leave here today understanding that they're to shine like lights in the midst of darkness. Thank you for your healing power and thank you for all that you're doing. And thank you, God, for your word. I bless them today in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you, friends. I love you. If you need prayer today, our prayer team would be honored to pray with you here at the front. God bless. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.